Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. You know, well, I'll tell you, it's, um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, okay. Uh, Hollywood called, it's been fun being your pastor. <laughs> Tom Cruise is getting old, so like I'm a lot younger, right? Not much, so. Uh, but I do, very thankful for Patrick and, and Steve for finding new and fresh ways of torturing me. So, uh, and for the Uxbridge Fire Department for coming, they had a lot of fun, and uh, putting me in those harnesses and... Uh, uh, I will be a soprano for the rest of my <laughs> life. Sorry about the creepy look I gave the camera when I grabbed the Bible. That was not supposed to make the last edit, but hey, I call it stunning, you know? So, uh, but really, why did we even do that uh, film? I'm not really sure, but I think it has something to do with promoting our series. It's going to start next weekend. It's a perfect series as we've concluded the final week as it kind of rolls into the book of Acts. Um, we're not going to do the whole book, right, but for a large par- portion of it. And we're calling it Mission Possible because it seemed like an impossible mission. You had a ragtag group of, of people probably around this size in this room right now that Jesus said, go tell the world. It's like, talk about impossible, and yet here we are, right? We're 2000, over 2,000 years later, across the world, different skin colors, different cultures, different everything except the gospel. So it's the same exact mission, right? So that starts next weekend. I invite you to definitely pr- be praying about that and be, be a part of that. So, uh, and share it on social media when you, when you see it, too. Um, so we, we'd love to have other people join us. Before I pray... Bob uh, already cued you into this, right? But uh, we usually say this on Resurrection Sunday. But you know the early, early church, we, can't even, we don't even know when. It began like, like first-generation Christians. That's how they greeted each other all the time, right? He is risen. That's how they would greet each other. He's risen indeed because, as we'll see, um, I'm just throw this up here, that, that this whole idea of resurrection, it changes everything. And it's the key to everything. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, I thank you so much for uh, gathering us on this amazing day where we celebrate the greatest thing, that you rose from the grave. Lord Jesus, I know that um, we have, you know our hearts, and you know both in the room and and online with us, uh, different people with different circumstances. And and, and Lord, I just ask for, through your word, through your truth, that, that we look at today, that, that you would, Lord, you would meet us where we're at, as we pray often, that you would meet us um, if we need encouragement, if we need, um, if we need a kick in the butt today, Lord, just give that to us, but that we would leave here changed for the better, for your glory and for your sake, and for the sake of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So here we are, right? And if this last couple of years has taught us uh, anything, right, it's that um, it's been hard, right? Anyone here who thinks like, uh, no, it's, it's been, been an easy couple of years, anybody? Okay, don't raise your hand, that would ruin the object lesson, okay. Um, and, and so we, what we tend to do when, when life gets really hard, classic chain illustration, right, and lock, which is a lot easier when people aren't staring at you, um, 
But I want you to uh, think about how we can so easily get chained to things in life, right? We can get chained to our, our past, right? We can get chained to things that have happened to us, right? To, uh, that, that have, like, like uh, abuse that have happened to us. People have hurt us. We can get chained to our own sin and shame. We can get chained to just dumb things we've done and messes we've made, right? And anybody have, have a past here? I think we got some past, yeah? Me too? Sometimes we get chained to the present. We came in here, and, man, it's like my marriage is just, I don't, I just don't think it's going to work. Or that job situation or financial problem or Right, we can even though we know, like even Christians, like we know the truth, but we can we can feel like, oh, I'm I'm chained up. Or you know what can actually happen is we get chained to the future, which is weird, right? But we can actually get chained to fear of what's coming. I'm guilty of that, like where it freezes me because I don't know what's around the corner, right? And and this this world, I don't know if you notice, but we can get chained to all kinds of confusion. Now people want spirituality nowadays, but not God. You ever notice that? And people want there to be justice. That's a big buzzword, justice, justice. But they don't want a lawgiver. How do you have justice if you're not sure what's right or wrong? So there's a chain to confusion, right, and locked up. And so all we're celebrating, not all, but simply celebrating with the empty tomb is that it changes everything, right? So the key is this empty tomb. And, and when we think about that grave, right, how it unlocks these chains, right, never to be taken up again. We're going to even sing after I'm done a song that says that, right? Our chains are broken, right? We just sang about the freedom in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that you can know today, I want you to be, for a lot, for a lot of us, it's reminded, right, that, that we have this, this chain that, that, that isn't anymore. We do not have to pick it up and we're to leave here in the freedom won by the empty tomb of Christ, right? And so what, what we are going to be doing is we're going to finish this uh, series off in, in chapter 15, starting in verse 40. If you've been with us, we've been just looking at the final week of Jesus' life through the gospel of Mark, okay? So I'm going to put it on the screen. It's uh, verse 40. If you want to follow along, by the way, um, thank, thank you for those of you who pointed out that I have a jacket on. I appreciate I am the one that put it on, though. It wasn't Heather, I promise. Um, and um, don't get used to it. If you want to see it again, come to a funeral, all right? Do that. And, uh, or a wedding, or a wedding. But uh, you don't really look like the type of people that get invited to a lot of weddings. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding we have a bet how many pastors can offend their crowd on Easter. So I'm going to see if I can win. Now, uh, so hopefully you're there. Uh, none of that was in my notes, so hopefully you're there. And, and I want you to remember, okay, um, if you were with us Friday, if you weren't, it's okay. But we last left off in this journey. Um, Jesus is still on the cross, but he's dead, right? He had died. He had breathed his last. The centurion, the hardened Roman centurion had um, looked up, and he's like, like, he is an expert killer. And he looks up and he says, this is the Son of God. And then the veil is torn in two, right? That's where we left the action, right? And, and in verse 40, it, it takes it up and, and it shows us this. Says, there were, there were, Mark says, there was also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, 
and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. A couple things there. I mean, one, I know men get a lot of the press when it comes to this, but Jesus from day one had a ton of integral women disciples. They weren't just add-ons, just following them around. They actually, some believe that there was some wealthy women that funded a lot of the ministry for three years. Somebody had to pay, right? And, 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 and they followed, they, didn't, they were integral to the ministry of Jesus. And they still are, right? But where they were up front and center, we now have this picture. I want you to imagine Jesus' dead body still on the cross. And he says they're at a distance. They're kind of in the shadows. And... And they're looking on, and there is sort of the death of all their hopes of the Messiah, of salvation, right? But also is there. Don't miss the fact that it's also one of their deepest, greatest friends. They had tremendous love for Jesus, and there he is. He's dead. And so Mark paints this picture of these women, and they're, they're at a distance. Some of that's grief, but I think some of it's fear. And some of it's this whole way, like you're going to kind of see they're at a distance and, and afraid and not sure. I mean, that, that should encourage you, right? Because, because if you're, you're thinking like, man, there's times where I, I read these bold Christians who do all this stuff, and I'm afraid to even tell my neighbor I'm a Christian or I go to church, right? Welcome, Welcome, right? They're at a distance. But here's the thing. I want you to notice throughout this, they show up. They might be afraid in the distance, but most of Jesus' male disciples are nowhere to be found. They show up later, right? And so remember we've been, I'm not going to make you a sandwich, but Mark likes sort of those sandwiches where he kind of sandwiches on top of each other to sort of bring out differences or similarities. And so right away after mentioning these women, he's going to bring another person named Joseph who's completely the opposite, right? He's, He's not on the fringe of society like women were. He's wealthy, and he's incredibly uh, successful. He's at the pinnacle of everything you'd want to be, respective community, faith community, money, right, all of it. And that's who Joseph is, verse 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So sort of you can sandwich that. You have the women who were front and center with Jesus all that way, now kind of receding in fear because they're not sure what's happening. Jesus is dead. Joseph, on the other hand, because we've never met, never met him before, he's, he's on the council of the Sanhedrin that actually handed him over to Pilate. I mean, I doubt Joseph was a part of that decision, but he probably was kind of looking at Jesus from a distance, and now Mark says he has the courage to step forward into the limelight. Why is he doing this? Why is he so worried about Jesus' body? Well, because he's Jewish. And, and they, I mean, just like anyone, but they especially have a very, it's highly disrespectful to not bury a body pretty much right away. And they would even bury their enemies after, at war, right? Because they just, it was a, a term, a, a, an idea of respect. And so he wants to do that, and he's in a hurry because it's Friday night, and as soon as sundown happens, it's Sabbath, and you can't do anything on the Sabbath. So he's thinking, i got to try to go to Pilate because when you were crucified, your body was owned by Rome. They owned you, 
right? And sometimes family and friends could come ask for the body to bury, but sometimes they would, and sometimes they would say, no, leave them up there to rot as an example for everyone else. Pilate could have made either decision, but Joseph boldly and courageously goes to Pilate, and by doing that, I mean, the, the women are sort of like, because like identifying yourself with Jesus isn't really a, a smart move right now, but, but Joseph doesn't care. With all of his wealth and notoriety, he steps forward and asks Pilate for that, that body. Verse 44 says that Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, remember him? Surely this is the son of God. He, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. I would have loved to have heard that conversation, wouldn't you? And the centurion is a whole different, like, Pilate's like, what is wrong with you? All right? Like, you were like this hardened criminal, like, crucifying an expert at, at making people feel pain, and now you're like, he's the son of God, right? Like, what happened out there, and how is he already dead? Another gospel tells us Pilate's wife was like, don't mess with that Jesus. Like, Pilate's like, man, just take him. Like, I don't know what to do with this at all, but there was something different right from the beginning. And so Joseph gets the body, and he, brought, and he bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, he wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. There they are again. So Joseph is in a hurry. And obviously, he, we know that he had another guy named Nicodemus help him. Another gospel teaches us that. And he had servants, I'm sure, to help him. He wasn't doing this all on his own. But he's getting him off, wrapping him. He would love to anoint Jesus. That's what you would do as a term of honor and respect. But he didn't have time. Like, it's going down, right? Like we got to get him uh, in the tomb. And archaeologists have found, some of you, if you've gone over there, have seen an example uh, of a tomb uh, in Palestine carved out of limestone. And only, it's usually wealthy people that could afford this. And, you would, and they would have this chamber, and you would seal it with a rock. The really rich people had the circular rock system that could roll. Most of them were more like regular rocks that you could find. So that tells us, man, Joseph... He had, he had some dough. And, and, and in the chamber, you had a, a sort of out, out of the rock a bed that you would place the body. And then eventually you'd go back in when it was just bones, and you would bury the bones with respect, make room for another body, and it would stay in the family. And, and so this is where he brings Jesus in. He lays them. They seal the, the tomb so no animals and no grave robbers can get in. And, and there he is. And Joseph goes uh, home and, to celebrate the, the Sabbath. But while he's doing this, notice who's there, who's witnessing it. Again, from a distance, the women. And, and if you'll notice, right, the, the three huge components to the story of the gospel, right, Jesus' death, the women were there to see it. The burial, the women were there to witness it. And the resurrection, all four gospels tells us, women were there as witnesses. Now this is incredibly important. Christians were actually uh, early first generation, second generation. They were, they were embarrassed by this, right? Like those who weren't Christians and they heard the story, they were like, oh, so women witnessed it? They had no, and I'm not trying to, they just had no, women couldn't even uh, give testimony in court. Right? So later on, two, three hundred years later, some legendary accounts of the resurrection were written, um, not biblical accounts. And guess who's always the eyewitness in those? Men. Because if you're going to make up a story, you'd, You'd make it men. So why, Jamie, why in all four Gospels are the women the, the, the witnesses of this? Complicated, crazy answer. Because it's 
true. There's no other explanation for it. They wouldn't have had women be the primary, but boy, God loves to flip things around, doesn't he? It's what we call kingdom economics or empty tomb economics. So last or first and the first last. And these women show up to see this and they, and they witness where he had been buried. Okay, so what, what we learn by seeing these women and seeing Joseph, right, is that, that this changes everything for everyone. Right, it's the key not just for a few little religious people or moral people or really bad people. It changes every, everything for everyone who will come and believe. Like you think about the, the centurion, right? Heart of stone to be able to do that to people. He was an expert at killing. And suddenly this is the son of God. Right? If, if he can, like why not you? Right? If Joseph uh, of Arimathea, he's, he's wealthy and successful. Maybe that's you. Praise God, like you've reached the pinnacle of your career. Praise God, God puts you in high places to do good things. Maybe you got a lot of money. Praise God, God, do good things with it. God blessed you with that, right? I'm not uh, dogging any of those things. I'm just saying you alone, if that's you, you know they don't satisfy your soul. The rest of us are thinking, oh, if I just had a little bit more money, I'd be happy. If I just had uh, that promotion, I'd be happy, and you wouldn't be. Have you ever noticed some of the most miserable people in all the world are? Rich people, because they've realized what none of us have understood. It doesn't bring you anything that is satisfying, right? And so even you, if you thought you had everything, just like Joseph, you step forward and courage to say, I need Jesus. The empty tomb changes everything for everyone. The women, and it's not the same as our culture today, praise God, but, but think about anyone, if it's you, push to the fringes. For whatever reason, people look at you as outside, something you've done, who you are, how you look. What, what, you, know, you, you didn't go to school. You didn't get that kind of education. You don't drive the right car. You don't have the right clothes. Whatever it might be, you might say, I'm not welcome. Oh, yeah, you are. Kingdom economics, empty tomb economics, come in. There's a seat at the table, right? For all who will believe, it changes everything for everyone. And I love, maybe this is the only thing you need to hear. Is when we look at those women, there's something we learn, right? And maybe tomorrow morning when you wake up, this is all you need, okay? It's what did those women do? What do we see them do? They're afraid. They're despondent. They're not sure. They show up. They just show up. Like some of you just being here today is a glorious thing. You showed up. Man, I'm not doing much anything. You show up as a Christian. Give me a hundred people who are afraid, have doubts, not sure, that are willing to shout, show up rather than that one superstar minister. Give me the people who are just willing to show up. Show up at your workplace. Show up in your neighborhood. Show up on your campuses. Show up in your marriage. Show up with your parents or grand, uh, uh, your kids, your grandkids. Show up in that ministry that you feel like giving up on. Just show up and watch what God will do. Just show up where God's called you. The ministry at home, at work, in church. Just show up. You're going to be afraid at times. You're not going to be sure. A lot. I'm not sure so much. Far more than I am sure. And yet, it's just like, man, today, wake up. Like, I'm just going to show up. I'm going to show up with my kids. I'm going to show up. You know, I'm just showing up. Watch what God will do. Because this empty tomb changes everything for everyone. 
And Mark turns the page to a couple days later. That was Friday. He says, when the Sabbath was passed, so that was Saturday, Mary Magdalene, Mary the uh, mother of James and Salome, they, they bought spices so that they might go and anoint him, meaning Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. So they had a, a job to do. They were going there. They knew, they watched, that, that Joseph didn't have enough time to anoint Jesus' body, which they would do out of respect and devotion. So they're like, we got to do that. He deserves at least that. He wasn't anointed before his burial, but he was, wasn't he? You remember a few weeks ago? Mary at Bethany anointed Jesus' head and feet. And what did Jesus say? She's anointed me for burial. I don't know about you. I still get little nuggets in the scriptures and I get like goosebumps. I'm weird, I know. But I'm just like, wow. He even knew that. That he wouldn't, there wouldn't be time to anoint his body. So he made sure that happened. So they're going, right? What are they expecting to see? Death, closure, finality. What are they going to find? Life and hope in an empty tomb. Because it changes everything. Right? So I, I love this though, verse, verse 3. It says, And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? It's maybe a question they could have asked before now. I don't know. They probably did, right? They probably asked some of the guys, and they were like, We're not going, we're locked behind a room. So they're like, Well, we'll just go and try to figure this out when we get there. And guess what they did? They showed up. All right, too much? Okay, all right, it's fine. So there they are, there they are, right, and, and wondering what's going to happen, hoping that God would do something, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Right, so the other gospel, Mark doesn't give us a lot of details, remember that. But the other gospel tells us this is an angel, right? And you can tell by the reaction. First of all, he's, he's got a, a white robe on, he's sitting there, right? And, he's, and, he's, and, and, and they're terrified, right? And I know you love your angels putting on the tree. Oh, it's so cute with wings. That ain't an angel. You read in the Bible, you see an angel, you have to tra- change your wardrobe after, right? That's just how it works. It's the nicest way I could put it, all right? It's Easter. They scare you, not because they're like, ah, right, but because they reflect the glory and holiness of God. And for us, that is scary, right? It's very scary. And so, so they, we know this is an angel, but imagine they go in, they're looking for the body, they're going to put spices in the body, and he's not there. Instead, there's this angel just hanging out there, and they're like, what? again, ah, right? They're scared the whole time, their whole time, but it's beautiful. They keep going. They keep going, and, and, and it says, he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. There it is. In the Greek, it means he has been raised. God has raised him through his power. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. It was a physical resurrection. This isn't some weird kind of uh, spiritual thing. He was body was dead and put on this slab of rock, and he ain't here anymore. Right? Paul says if he was still there, we would be the most pitied people on the planet. Hopeless. The cross would mean nothing. You would be dead in your sins. The blood would mean nothing, except he isn't still dead. He is alive. He is raised. 
right? He's been raised. And so he tells him in verse 7, he says, go, go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Like, go meet him. He's alive. You'll go talk to him. You'll see him in Galilee. But isn't that a weird thing to say? Go tell his disciples and Peter. Isn't Peter a disciple? I'd be like, I'm at a pastor's convention, and someone's getting everyone to go, hey, get all the pastors. Oh, and Jamie, too. I'd be like, I went to seminary. Give me a break here, guys, right? And, and, and that's how I would feel because I thought I was a pastor, right? And, and yet, that's what they're saying, and I think it's a problem because the last time we see Peter, where was he? In the fetal position, crying because he had, he had denied Christ. He had a little servant girl. Weren't you with him? No. Right? The, the, the last thing he said was, may God curse me if I ever spent time with him. It's no wonder. He's like, man, I was once the witness of the transfiguration. I was a top guy. I walked on water for a while, right? And yet here I am. I'm out. Right? You can see the other disciples who, by the way, were not a whole lot better, right, going, well, at least we're not him. <laughs> and probably the ladies are like, oh, man, Peter's out. Right? I don't know what was going on. We're not, Mark doesn't tell us. All we know is that the angel says specifically, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter. Anyone here got a little Peter in you? I do. And I love that line. Go tell the disciples and tell Jamie. Tell him to come. You know what that little tiny line reminds us is no matter who we are, forgiveness is possible. No matter what we've done, forgiveness is possible. You aren't the first person. I know, you might have walked in here today and you said, wow, these people are really dressed up. They look good. Remember, we got some pasts in here, right? I'm like, I'm saying keep your keys and your wallet close. That's what I'm saying. Hey, we're not, we're still being sanctified. I'm just saying. We dress up. Be careful, all right? We're changed, hopefully, a little bit, but we're, we're still working. God's still working on us. So recognize, right? Come, forgiveness is possible. If Peter could have forgiveness after what he did, because I'll bet there's, some of you might have been, I've mocked Christians. I've, I've mocked God, but God see something stirring in me, but I feel like, man, I've gone too far away. I've said too many things. No, no, no. Come. Peter's welcome. So are you. By faith. That's why he died for you. Forgiveness is possible. Man, if Paul, who killed Christians, could be forgiven, if, if the thief on the next to the, the insurrectionist next to Jesus on the cross who was literally yelling insults at him an hour before he came to faith could come into paradise with him, so can you. You can't out-sin the cross and the empty tomb. It changes everything. And for everyone, forgiveness is possible. And so Mark concludes it this way. And I love this ending because it's so strange. Watch. There you will see him, the angel said, just as he told you. And they, meaning the women, they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. That's why if you look at your Bibles, not too long after this was written, somebody added an ending to Mark. Because they were like, I can't end it there. Luke, John, Matthew, they did a way better job, Mark. What is wrong with you? And so you see a longer ending. And by the way, that teaches us. I know it's, it's cool right now for people to say, oh, the Bible was written hundreds of years later and it's been so messed with and changed and translated. Listen, just because you saw some goofball on a TikTok for a minute saying that doesn't make it true. I've seen it too, and if you've been here any length of time, you know it drives me insane. 
Read a book. See the formation of how the Bible came to be. I'm not saying you have to believe it. I'm just saying if you can trust anything from antiquity, you can trust, trust the scriptures. It's been poured over like nothing ever before. That's not in my notes. I'm not sure why I went there. But you must have needed it, right? Be encouraged that that teaches us, right? That this is raw. This is the, I love this ending. This says, yeah, that's my kind of people. I hear the gospel and I'm terrified and ran away and didn't tell anyone. Eventually they did, though. And eventually the men came out of their locked room and they did too, right? Why? Because this changes everything. That Jesus is the Lamb of God. His blood is sufficient. He died in our place, and he didn't stay dead. God raised him to new life, and he will come again. And our hope is in him, in him alone. So if you're afraid right now, you're feeling despondent or depressed, or, or maybe it's a good season, wherever you are at, this is for you. Or maybe you kind of walked away, your heart's been a little hardened. Man, you can't possibly be more hardened than that centurion. Come. Come in faith. There is a seat at the table if you would just take it. There is nothing stopping you but you. Stop looking to this world for answers and understand the resurrected King Jesus is the only answer that we ever need or will have. It changes everything. Here's why I want to, here's where I want to, um, and I promise this isn't one of those pastor tricks where it means I'm going to talk for another 25 minutes, okay? 24. That's going to be 24 minutes. No, it won't be. But I want to end this, this way. I want, because it, it's, it acts not just as a, a period, but as a hinge to next week where we begin the new series. The, the, in verse 7, the um, angel said three words, and really it's the two that I want you to see. Those last two, he said what to the ladies? What's their mission? But go and tell Go tell. Like, I know, we have all these evangelism classes, and i got to learn out of that. Just go tell your story. Right? I mean, granted, they had a really cool story. I get it, right? But that's okay. You have a cool story, too. God's done amazing things in your life. You don't need the six points of this or that. You just need to tell your story of who you were, who you are, what God has done. Go tell someone. That's the mission. That's the mission. Right? This mission that is possible is the mission that changes everything. And I'll say this. I know, some of you are thinking, I know, because I have a front row seat to it, this world is a hard place with a lot of bad stuff. And it feels like whatever we do, feels like it's not really doing anything, making any difference at all. It feels that way. And it can feel like it's not worth it. I mean, I shared with you guys like over a month ago now, uh, a pastor of one of our sister churches, three kids, he took his own life. What kind of chain went around him? I don't know. Because he felt that. And some of you have a front row seat of so much darkness and hardship. And you're like, you know. So I want to remind you, some of you have read this story before. Um, I'm going to change it a little bit if you've read it. So you're not like, actually, Jamie, just don't do that. Calm it down, all right? Because I'm going to show you why in a second. And maybe you've never heard it, but it's a beautiful story. This guy, he's, he's walking on the beach, right? And he notices this weird phenomena that washed up are just, count, you can't count them. Hordes and hordes of jellyfish. Now, you want me to say, you know, the starfish. I know. Jellyfish. Stay with me. Hordes of jellyfish. The guy's like, man, that really stinks, right? Like, they're all got to be in the ocean, right? They're, those things are going to die. 
and, and, and there's just tons of them. And, and as he's walking closer, he notices this little boy, one by one, throwing the jellyfish into the ocean. Like just throwing them in, one by one, over and over. As he gets closer, he's like, you're not even making a dent. And all wise man says to the little kid, hey, why are you throwing these jellyfish in, man? It's, it's not doing, making any difference at all. Still can't count how many are dying. And the little, little boy, right, he had one in his hand, and he said, throws it back in. He said, made a difference for that one. And you know why I changed it from starfish to jellyfish? Because those jellyfish sometimes sting. Sometimes sharing your story will hurt. People won't always react the way you want, but they're still worth it. They're still a soul worth it. And so maybe we, as we look around, as we... As we tell our story as a church as we bring this story. Maybe at times it's going to hurt. Maybe at times it's going to feel like it's not making a difference, but it made a difference for that one, for that one. You know why you're here right now? It's because that ragtag group of terrified men and women, right, decided that mission was possible. And we are here on the backs, on the backs of so many men and women just like us who said, I'm going to tell my story. I'm going to tell the story that Jesus, who is dead for our sins, is now alive. That's the story. Amen. I want to pray for you. I'm going to invite our worship team up. Um, if you can, you know, not watching a little one or something, uh, close your eyes or look down, just kind of focus. Um, we love to pray for each other here. If you ever need prayer, I'm always happy to pray for you or one of our elders or staff or <laughs> someone else in the room who loves Jesus, would be willing to pray for you personally. But I want to pray for you on this beautiful Resurrection Sunday. Father, I, I just feel compelled to pray for those in this room that maybe came in here not believing. They need faith. Give it to them, Lord. Drive them crazy until they know the truth and they believe. Lord, open their eyes of faith in their ears to hear the truth. Keep the enemy away from them. Keep the lies of this world from distracting. Call them forward by faith. Lord, I pray for believers who have just been feeling exhausted or weary or broken or just fearful of whatever reason, whatever chain has tried to grab a hold of them, remind them that those chains are gone forever because that tomb is empty forever. Remind them something they already know, Lord, that they will have the courage to keep showing up. And Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are with us. Man, there's a good season. Use them for your glory. Use them at work, at school, in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in our church. Use them by your spirit. As a church that we would keep being willing to show up and tell the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only story that really matters. It's in Jesus' name, his glorious name, the risen king, that all God's people say, amen. Why don't we stand and, and worship together?